0: with dr frank turek
1: martin luther the man who rediscovered god and changed the world ladies and gentlemen this tuesday october 31st it is the 500th year anniversary of what is now known as the reformation and there is a brand new biography on martin luther by the Biographer extraordinaire himself, the great Eric Metaxas. You know he wrote Amazing Grace about William Wilberforce. You know he wrote Bonhoeffer about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And now an equally great volume called Martin Luther, The Man Who Rediscovered God and Changed the World. Tucker Carlson, host of Tucker Carlson Tonight, says, This is an amazing story, beautifully told you'll emerge wiser. Mark Halperin says, a marvelous, brilliant book that is equal parts biography, theology, political philosophy, and cultural history. Oz Guinness says, a breathtaking achievement, and a gripping read. Donald Trump said, he's making the Reformation great again, is Eric Metaxas. I'm telling you, the accolades are amazing, and it's great to have Eric on the, on the uh, program again. He's been on several times. Eric, how are you?
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, with an introduction like that from my friend Frank Turek, I'm swell, man. I'm absolutely swell. fine. And I want to say, by the way, those other biographies that I wrote, mm-hmm. trash compared to this book. <laughs> Ab- throw them in the trash. Throw them in the trash. They never happened. You need to buy this book and read this book. No, I tell you, in all seriousness, I, something happened, Frank, that I don't think has ever happened to me before. People think I'm exaggerating. I actually enjoyed writing this book. Writing is very hard, and usually I don't enjoy it. I enjoy having written, but the story of Martin Luther is so entertaining and in some cases so funny that it was hard for me not to enjoy parts of it. And I, I, I promise you that's not hyperbole. I don't enjoy writing, but in this case, uh, at times, I really, I was really enjoying myself. It's a, it's a very entertaining story. It's not kind of a downer, like the Bonhoeffer story. It's very Bonhoeffer is important, but it's sad and difficult. You're dealing with Nazis. There are no Nazis in the Luther book. That's my promise to the reader.
1: No Nazis in the Luther book. Although, and maybe That's we'll get to this later. That's my promise. If you
0: find one, let me know. I'll talk to the publisher about it, and we'll get rid of them.
1: Maybe we'll talk about this later because I do want to talk about this because he, Luther was accused of anti-Semitism and the Nazis yep. apparently used it. Let's get to that later because that's yeah. that's not really the focus of this book. Oh, we got to get book. to that.
0: Absolutely. We, we, yes. we of course get I that. deal with that in the book. Yeah, of of course, course you do. you, you got to deal with it.
1: And, and, uh, well, first of all, the, just like Bonhoeffer, the amount of research you had to do to write this book is phenomenal. I mean, you've got details in here that – I mean, how do you even know this stuff? I just read last night about Frederick the Wise – his uh relic collection you have in here oh my
0: gosh (laughs) this is amazing you know something that you put your finger on one of the things that i found entertaining and funny and Mm -hmm. when i read people need to understand okay the book is about the life of martin luther we're celebrating as you said the 500th anniversary i didn't know much about luther and it happens to me with many of my books I go in fairly ignorant and I'm happy to say that because I I don't want to pretend that I'm some scholar and I know everything but when you do the research and you read all these books you say wow this is this is amazing so the first thing I want to say is that the in terms of historical influence I don't think there is anybody in history in 2000 years apart from Jesus who had the historical importance and influence of Martin Luther, what he did 500 years ago, even though it was not his intention, changed the world and opened the world up to modernity, uh, to the future in which we live, where we have this idea of freedom, we have a democracy. All of these ideas were really introduced into history uh, for for the for the first time, you know, in a serious way, because of Martin Luther, because of what he did. So. So when I started doing this story, I realized this guy's also a wild man, very entertaining, and a lot of what was going on around that time is hilarious, including what you just mentioned. There was the practice, of course, in those days of collecting relics. Now I have nothing against relics. I think that if you actually have the bone of a saint, there is something holy about that. But of course, in in the Middle Ages, people were gullible and people were greedy, not that anything's changed. And so there were many relics that were really not the real thing but they didn't know it. And so when I came up with the list of relics from Frederick the Wise and uh, a few others that they had these lists of relics you read the relics you can't even believe what you're reading. It's so funny. One of somebody claimed to have uh, milk breast milk from Mary from the Virgin Mary. It's right milk. here on page and 75. You think to yourself, how yeah. <laughs> is it, page 75, how is it possible <laughs> that somebody got a hold of that and put it in a <laughs> vial? It, it's like, you know, you kind of, how do you not laugh? They said, they, oh, we have a piece of bread from the last supper. Somebody said, hey, psst, put that in your pocket. It's going to be valuable someday. Is. Hey, go right. put it in your pocket. Hey, you know, Zacchaeus, put it in your pocket. And it's but the craziest one, I think. Is the and this is this is in the book. You can read this stuff. And again, if you don't laugh, you you have a cup of coffee because this stuff is nuts. They claim to have a pinch of soil from the Garden of Eden, a very pinch of the very soil from which Adam has been created. Now, that's a, that's this a brings trick, up a man. logical problem. That's a dirty
1: trick. That's not. We,
0: we, we got a problem, because if that it's is... a pinch of the soil from which he was created, how come it's not a piece of Adam, as opposed to a piece of soil? Oh. And secondly, who smuggled the soil out of the Garden of Eden? Did Eve <laughs> say, Adam, you see the soil next to you there? I think it could be valuable someday, just put it in your pocket. Just, just, just put it in your pocket, and you know, give it to uh, to Cain or Abel, and and someday, our descendants will, you know, will make a mint off of the soil. It's, heli- it's so funny. And that's part of the joy for me of this book is that there, a lot of it is very serious and sober, but a lot of it is very, very funny and interesting. And it teaches you about history to understand what was religion, what was Christianity in those days. Uh, there's, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that I have to say, we all need to know history. So th- that, that, that for me was, was some of the most fun.
1: All right, well, let's set the table here. We've got a couple minutes before the break. Just set the table for the sale of indulgences. What was going on in the early 1500s that caused Luther to want to reform the Roman Catholic Church?
0: Well, um, yeah, that's the story of the book. And again, it's 500th anniversary of what? It's the 500th anniversary of Luther nailing the 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church. Now, in the book, I end up debunking a lot of things that I never set out to debunk. But when you look, when you do the research and you figure out exactly what really happened, you get sometimes a very different picture, sometimes a slightly different picture from what you think happened. And the 95 Theses, and we can talk about this more as the program goes along, but Luther, there was a lot going on at the time. Luther was a monk trying to climb into heaven. He was a monk trying to pray his way to heaven, trying to earn his way to heaven. So part of the story is his discovery, the fact that that's not working. You can't get to heaven based on what you do. You have to understand that you only get to heaven based on what Jesus did on the cross, and you accept that by faith. If you don't get that, you got nothing. And so that's a big part of the story. But the part of the story that kicks off the Reformation, what we're celebrating 500 years ago uh, right now, this week, is when he nailed the theses to the door about indulgences and this is related but it's not that directly related indulgences was a practice of the church at the time where you would kind of throw money into the coffer, you'd pay the church, and they would give you a certificate that's kind of like a get-out-of-jail-free get card. Like you could get your uncle out of purgatory if you pay enough money, uh, or you could even uh, pay your way out of hell if you pay enough money. The kind of stuff that when you hear it, you know this is corruption, this is nefarious, this is terrible. And good people got sucked into this. Luther starts noticing this as a humble priest, and he says... We need to do something about this. I am a priest and a theologian at the University of Wittenberg. We need to have a debate about this. So he lists it in Latin. He puts it on the castle door, which is the bulletin board, and all heck breaks loose.
1: Uh Uh-oh. What's going to happen next? You'll find out with my friend Eric Metaxas, the brand new biography of Martin Luther, the man who rediscovered God and changed the world. You need to get this book. It is outstanding, and you'll learn a lot on the 500th year anniversary of the Reformation. So we're back with Eric Metaxas in just two minutes. Don't go away. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Today, my guest, as the Reformation... Anniversary approaches this Tuesday, the 31st of October, the 500th year anniversary. We're going over Martin Luther, the brand new biography from Eric Metaxas. Peter Kraft, who happens to be Catholic, says Eric Metaxas is to religious biographers what Pixar is to cartoons. Oz Guinness thinks it's a great book. So does Tucker Carlson. So does Gerald Schroeder, Brett Lott, Peter Thiel. Hillary Clinton says... We know the Russians were involved here. They're, I mean, people are talking about this book everywhere, Eric. It is amazing. It's, it's incredible
0: they, to think that the Russians tried to hack 500 years ago. Hey, <laughs> this is no joke. The Russians 500 years ago, before Russia existed, they tried to hack uh, into Martin Luther's, uh, you know, into his mind. And really, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's an unbelievable he story. We don't have time it. for that right now. We don't. We're going to talk about don't. the facts. Well, what we were talking about before the break uh, is that when I wrote this book, I didn't set out to say anything new or to to, uh, debunk anything. I just wanted to tell the story. But as often happens to me, in fact, as always happens to me when I write a book, you discover things that you didn't know and that you realize nobody's written about. And so there's a few things in this book that I'm very proud to say. Uh, most people will not have heard. There's a few things in the book that nobody's ever heard before. But one of the, thing, one of the biggest things, since we're celebrating the 500th anniversary of the nailing of the theses to the wall, to the, to the door 500 years ago, October 31st, 1517, is, is to understand what happened there, right? And what I was saying before was that Luther had a host of issues, but what kicked things off was simply this thing called indulgences. He was a priest, and people come to him in confession and they say hey father I got a certificate here I paid you know this many pennies or or golden or whatever I got a certificate here it's kind of like a, a get out of purgatory free or get out of sin free you know you're gonna tell me I gotta say 35 Hail Mary's and I gotta tell you no I don't I got a certificate read it and weep I don't have to do anything and he starts realizing that this is corrupting the souls of people this practice of indulgences is leading people away from real repentance and it's it's not good and it didn't start out evil we have to understand these were decent people and things get corrupt you know and i hopefully write about that in the book so you can understand what i mean but the point is that luther says we got to do something what are we going to do he says hey i'm not just a monk i'm an academic i teach theology at Wittenberg university what we do the right thing to do is to have a theological debate so he puts ninety five provocative statements called theses on a document right and he nails it to the local bulletin board he's not trying to start trouble he's trying to have a debate with his fellow theologians so it's all written in Latin nobody can understand it except for the theologians and he puts it on the castle door in Wittenberg to try to very humbly start the correct process to look into this so he's not trying to start a new religion he's not trying to break away from the church he wasn't even dreaming of breaking away from the church. This is a humble son of the church. He loved the church. He never would ever want to do anything like that. He he wanted to reform it from within. He wasn't even thinking about reformation. He was thinking about, let's deal with, with indulgences. Let's just deal with this. It's the right thing to do. Well, as we know, what happened was that all heck broke loose because he puts this thing on the door and next thing you know, people are angry at him because somebody translated it into german somebody sent copies around within weeks everybody in europe is talking about this it became like the thing that went viral it was crazy the printing press existed which it hadn't existed 100 years before so suddenly people can start reading about this and going crazy and it was absolutely mad what happened he tries to humbly bring this to the attention of the authorities and the next thing he knows He's in a huge debate with the Vatican, and they're attacking him as a heretic, and he's saying, I'm not a heretic, I'm trying to to show what the Word of God says, and it goes crazier and crazier and crazier. It was the nailing of those theses, which he did very innocently, which kicked off the Reformation, that's exactly what we celebrate 500 years ago. But, this is what's weird, it didn't happen as everybody thinks it happened, we always have a picture in our mind of Luther bravely, courageously nailing this incendiary document to the door of a church to tell the world this is corruption. And you know what? That's not true. He, all he was doing was trying to have a theological debate, and he posted this thing on the local bulletin board, which happened to be the wooden doors of the church. That was the local bulletin board. He didn't say, I got a crazy idea. I'm going to nail this right to the church door. No, everybody, if you were missing a cat, if your cat, Smokey, had been, had gone missing. Uh you would say, "Well, I'm going to tack it up to the bulletin board and if you, if you find Smokey or if you have information leading to the identity to the to the finding of Smokey, uh you know, call this phone number or if you got you wanted you wanted guitar lessons, you you tack it up on the bulletin it was just a bulletin board, but in history in retrospect we look at it like it was this incredible moment. It ends up being an incredible moment, but it's not the incredible moment that we think it was. It started out very differently.
1: Now, Eric, what what was the potential, do you think, for Martin Luther to be executed over doing this? I mean, how close was he to actually being executed as a heretic?
0: Oh, I mean, it doesn't make sense that he was not executed as a heretic. Uh, People like Jan Hus, a hundred years before Luther, Jan Hus said pretty much exactly what Luther was saying, and he was burnt at the stake. Uh, You have Wycliffe and Tyndale, uh, people who said the same kinds of things and they were persecuted and declared heretics. Luther was able to escape death only because of some quirks of fate and history. And I would have to say uh, God's hand allowing him to continue to live. He expected to die. Um, I should say that uh, in, in uh, 1521, the famous diet of worms. We've all Which heard that it. It sounds like a very bad that, meal. Doesn't it sense? It's wriggling protein on a plate. The diet of worms, you know, lo- it's loaded with protein. Check it out. Uh, but basically, the diet of worms refers to a city called the Worms, Germany. Worms, and Worms in American is pronounced worms. Some Americans pronounce it night crawlers. But anyway, right. the city of Worms, Germany, is where in 1521 Luther was finally given an opportunity to appear before the Holy Roman Emperor. Now imagine the power of this is the Emperor over the Holy Roman Empire and all of what they call the German estates, these people who are princes, dukes, archbishops, all of these dignitaries gathered in a room, 300 of them wearing fur and gold and jewels, the richest, most powerful people in the world sitting in a room and into that room comes the humble monk Martin Luther basically now he thinks he's going to get to defend himself Mm. he's hoping for debate he believed in truth as we all should he believed that the truth is the truth and if i explain it to reasonable people they will say you know what you have a point we didn't understand that we thought you were some hot-headed jerk in fact uh you're a little hot-headed but what you're saying you're saying humbly and you're trying to bring the church uh, a little bit over, we got a little bit off over here, and you're, you're trying to say that this is what the Word of God says, and of course the church wants to do what the Word of God says, right? Well, Luther found out. No, he walked into that room in 1521 in the city of Worms, and he was told very bluntly, "Are these your books?" There was a pile of books on the table. They were all his books. They had just been printed up. They were Basel editions. They were there specifically for this trial. Are these your books? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, do you recant what you've written in these books, yes or no? It's kind of like, shut up, sign the piece of paper, and we'll let you walk out of here. And he says, look, I'm not going to take the plea bargain. I, I'm i here to have a mature conversation about what I said, and if I'm wrong, I will r- repent and recant what I said. But you have to show me from the scriptures, please, w- what did I get wrong? Where am I wrong? Because if I'm not wrong, then you you understand we need to deal with this. But they wouldn't give him the opportunity. They basically said, Shut up. We don't want to get into it with you. We will not get into it with you. We will not have a conversation with you. He'd gotten it. The, 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 the cardinal, Cahiton, who's there on behalf of the Pope, had been instructed do not have a conversation with Luther. This is not about a debate. Uh, he's very clever. You just get him to recant, yes or no, in or out. That's it. And Luther says, I can't do that if you don't show me I'm stuck I'm not afraid of going to death I'm afraid of betraying the truth of God and I'm gonna be responsible uh, before God for all of the souls that are are going to be led astray I have a responsibility as a doctor of the church as a theologian of the church to represent the truth and they were not interested and so at worms he takes the stand and they do not give him an opportunity so finally he says my hands are tied Wait, 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 wait.
1: before you go, Eric, didn't he he ask for 24 hours at one point?
0: Oh, yeah, there's all kinds of details. It's all in the book, but I don't want to complicate things. The bottom line is, he says, this is the story, unless you show me exactly where I went wrong. And by the way, if you show me, I'll be happy to repent. But if you can't show me, how can I repent? How can I recant? It's like they said to him, just sign the piece of paper, just agree to what we say, and you can walk out of here a free man. And he said, I can't do that. I fear God, and I fear betraying the truth more than I fear what you can do to me. That moment, that moment changed the history of the world incredibly dramatically. He should have been killed after that. Uh, you know, When we come back from the break or whatever, I'll tell you actually how he got out of being killed. It's a kooky, kooky story. It involves kidnapping, disguises, crossbows. It's, it's kind of entertaining.
1: And the Russians. We're talking to Eric Metaxas. His new book is called Martin Luther. It's a biography of the man who rediscovered God and changed the world. If you're just tuning in, Eric has written several amazing biographies, including one on William Wilberforce, one on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and now the brand new one, Martin Luther, just in time for... The 500th anniversary of the Reformation, 1517. October 31st, 1517 is when Martin Luther began this process, tacking up the 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, Deutschland. It used to be in East Germany, um, but now that the East and West are together, you can actually go there now and see this place. I happened to go there back in 2010. Have you been out there, Eric, to Wittenberg? You still there, Eric? No, yeah, sorry. Have
0: lost. Oh, no, no, no. I'm here. H-
1: have you have you have you been out there? Have you been to Wittenberg and 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 gone? Have to I the, been to
0: Have I been yeah. to Wittenberg? Wittenberg, yeah. I've been to Wittenberg. Uh, that I got distracted because my daughter was calling, and you know what happens when a father when daughter, his daughter calls, calls in you college answer. and she answer. calls, so I, 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 got, I, got I, can... go I got I got distracted.
1: Go ahead. I go ahead. We're I've coming up to, to a break. Wittenberg three anyway. times.
0: Three huh? times I've been three to Wittenberg. Three times, and every time I go there, I'm just. Uh, astounded that it's all still there and again I write the details are are, are in the book because it, you know you want to bring it to life and most of it is still there it's astounding when you think that you know some of the characters in the book you can go to their houses you can it's just it's like it happened a hundred years ago instead of 500 years ago
1: it is an amazing place and an amazing book again Eric Metaxas Martin Luther and when we come back from the break we're going to get into more details how did Luther escape because when he didn't recant He could have been killed there. They could have taken him and executed him. How did he escape? And what do we say about people who claim, well, Martin Luther was an anti-Semite. He he somehow influenced the Nazis 450 years later. What about all that? When we come back from the break, we'll talk with Eric Metaxas, who, by the way, has his own radio program. Check him out at ericmetaxas.com. And I'm back in just two minutes. I'm Frank Turek, CN2. The world was changed forever 500 years ago this Tuesday, October 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther began, unbeknownst to him, a reformation of the Roman Catholic Church that has led now to many different denominations. The entire Protestant movement emerged out of Martin Luther, and we're talking to my friend Eric Metaxas, his great new biography of Luther called Martin Luther. It, By the way, it's, it's got to be already a New York Times bestseller, isn't it, Eric?
0: Well, yes, it is. Uh, It debuted a couple of days ago, um, or actually last weekend, it debuted at number seven. And I got to tell you, Frank, that's what we call high cotton. I am thrilled (laughs) to death that when you're competing with Hillary Clinton and Bill O'Reilly and, you know, uh, huge, huge uh, names that that are in the news every day, to be at number seven is a stunning thing. Uh, this weekend, I think it's at it's holding steady at number nine, which for week number two, is outrageous. Uh, I'm really thrilled. I hope since this week is the actual anniversary, I will get um, more media opportunities like this one. And uh, because well, let's, look, let's, as we let's we're saying, this is kind one. of an important story.
1: Yeah, let's push it to number one. What do you say, crowd? You know what? Let's, now that you let's mention it, the book. Let's push it. Let's
0: do that. Let's Number do that. one. Well, I can, listen, folks. If if you don't want uh, Hillary Clinton to occupy the top spot, uh, <laughs> you could buy my book, and I can go. You know, I can go head to head. So it's
1: a Russian conspiracy if she's not at the top. We all know that. You now
0: know, that's right. W-
1: when we left, you left us hanging because Martin Luther had just denied to recant in front of a Roman Catholic hierarchy. A a uh, well, explain this to our to our listeners, if you would, Eric. How intertwined was the government and the church at that point? Who was he going up against in the, at the Diet of Worms right there? Was it just the Catholic Church, or was it the the emperor as well?
0: Well, this is the point, is that you have a very curious, uncomfortable relationship between the church and the state, which exists in many parts of the world today. You have it in Russia. Speaking of Russia, you have it today, okay? The Russian Orthodox Church is working hand-in-glove with the Putin government that as we know is very unhealthy in Germany in the thirties the Lutheran Church was you know uh, trying to make nice nice with the Nazi government whenever you have the church and state working together like that it can lead to big trouble it's not always bad but it's it always eventually gets bad so imagine the all the entirety of Western Europe is under the influence of Rome there is no other church there is no other option there is only the Holy Catholic Church in Rome so the Emperor of course being a good Catholic uh, and every king every monarch being good Catholics they feel it's it's our job to uphold the Catholic Church in other words, they didn't believe in Intellectual uh, honesty. They just said, "This is it, and there is no other." That's the story. And so you get into an uncomfortable situation because Luther goes into the Diet of Worms. He's he's facing the Holy Roman Emperor, the young, brilliant Charles V, sitting there, the most powerful man, almost like a living god. It's like being in the presence of Augustus Caesar or something. That you just say, "Wow, I'm in the same room as this outrageous." It would be like meeting the musician Prince, I think, very similar to that, right? <laughs> be hard and, to do um, now, but anyway. Well, now, yeah. But, uh, but i got to say that this emperor was not about to turn his back on the tradition and the faith of his ancestors. He says, I am a Catholic. Uh, I am here to uphold the twin authorities of church and state, not just the state. But to, there was no way he was going to back... Luther and so Luther is facing the uh, the church the papal legate uh, Cardinal Cahetan was there representing Rome but of course you have the Emperor in the room as well and Luther understood that if I'm excommunicated the the uh, the Emperor he's gonna rubber stamp that he's not gonna say well you know I have a different view um, now it did so happen that when Luther appears there and he says I cannot recant unless you show me clearly from the scriptures I cannot take anything back you must show me where I have gone wrong and if you don't do that and of course they didn't do that they basically said hey shut up so Luther says I'm stuck and when he says I'm stuck here I stand I can do no other his fate is sealed he basically now knows that um anything can happen he can die He he may well die and he is expecting now to go back to Wittenberg, and then the emperor is going to make his pronouncement. Eventually, Luther will be arrested in Wittenberg, taken to Rome, uh, burnt at the stake, whatever it is. So, what happens? This is where it gets kooky. You have the the the, the prince of Saxony. That is the territory. Now, remember, there is no Germany, okay? You have all these different little territories. And so you've got Bavaria and Saxony and Thuringia and on and on and on. So the prince of Saxony, actually the duke, Frederick Third, he was very open to what Luther was saying. He didn't think Luther was saying anything so crazy. And his um, main man, Spalatin, another one of the major figures in my book in the story, uh, in fact, I've got two paintings of him. One from when he's a young man and one from when he's an old man. Spalatin is this key figure who is counseling his king, or rather his prince, uh, Duke uh, Frederick. He's saying to him, listen, um, Luther is not off base here, and for them to haul him down to Rome, he's not gotten a fair hearing. We need to at least give him a fair hearing. And also now nationalism comes into it. Frederick, being a German, says, who are these Romans, these Italians, Uh, stepping in and daring to uh, to you know we need to give him a little bit of protection so he comes up he cooks up a scheme and this is right out of a novel and this is exactly what happened he cooks up a scheme that as soon as the diet of worms is ended Luther will make his way back to to Wittenberg and on the way he will be kidnapped Mm. we will kidnap him we will kidnap him and take him to a place nobody knows where we're gonna take him even Luther won't know where he's going and only a couple of his friends will be in on this so Luther (laughs) leaves Worms in a wagon with a few people nobody who's with him has a clue what's going on suddenly they're set upon by it looks like brigands troublemakers people draw crossbows now imagine if you have a crossbow pointed at you I'd rather have a gun pointing at me than a crossbow it's like a horrifying weapon And so everybody scatters, they grab Luther, they put him on a horse, and these two people take him to the Wartburg Castle. Now, as soon as he's on the horse, they let him know, hey, we're good guys, don't worry about it. But they take him to the Wartburg Castle far, far away. It's a beautiful place. I visited it twice. I even spent a night there. It's an amazing, gorgeous place. It was built uh, in the 11th or 12th centuries. And um, I have to say that he's there simply to buy time they said if we keep him safe hidden away let's see what happens let's see if we can keep the movement alive and of course as I think I said because the printing press had just been invented all of these ideas are out there you know basically influencing people including leaders around Germany around Europe you have people from other um parts of Europe who are starting to to, to understand these reformation ideas and saying he's right what he's saying is right and so you have all this craziness going on but Luther is sequestered hidden at the Wartburg, and by the way he he goes he he, he puts on a disguise he in fact actually he doesn't put it on he grows a disguise he grows a beard and he grows his hair out he was tonsured like a monk has shaved the top of his head so he grows it out and then he dresses like a monk. I'm sorry. He he no longer dresses like a monk. He looks and dresses like a knight. And so while he's at the Wartburg, all the other knights think this is just another knight. And his name is uh, uh, his, his name is George. So they call him Knight George or Junker Georg. Junker Georg is really Martin Luther disguised. Nobody knows who he is, except for the guy who runs the castle, who is kind of in on the ruse. He's one of the guys who committed the uh, the kidnapping. And Luther spends the better part of a year all alone in this room with nothing to do. So what does he do? Well, he decides this would be a great time to, let me think, oh yeah, I'll translate the New Testament from the original Greek into modern German. Why don't I do that? In 11 weeks, Frank, in 11 weeks, he translates the Greek, which... which. Uh, Erasmus, the famous uh, Erasmus of Rotterdam, had restored the Greek New Testament so Luther could work with the newly restored original Greek text and translate it into German. And, you know, the, uh, the, at that point, uh, the world begins to change because his he was protected from death, uh, hidden by his uh, Frederick III, his prince. And then when he comes back to Wittenberg, even though he's risking his life and he's causing political problems, somehow things had moved along so that there were other people who started to adopt his ideas. And at this point, as long as he doesn't leave Saxony, he's safe. And that's where he spent the rest of his life, right there in Wittenberg. He never left Saxony. It's, it's just it's one of these amazing, amazing stories from history.
1: And at some point he did get married, too. Who did he marry? He did. I thought he did. Oh,
0: oh yes, he did. I'm <laughs> sorry. My staff My staff did the research on the book. I don't know nothing about that. Uh, <laughs> We're talking, by the yeah, way. Let, no, me, let me
1: let me bring people up to speed. This is Eric Metaxas. The new book, Martin Luther, You Need to Get. Go, Eric.
0: Okay, so Martin Luther, of course, uh, he says that if you became a monk or a priest against your will, I mean, if this was a vow you made and you, you, you no longer want to be a priest, first of all, I'm sorry, let me back up. He says priests should be able to marry. Where did the church come up with this idea that priests could marry? And, of course... Many of us already know that it is a strange thing that priests didn't marry. So he says, "Look, this is this is kind of ridiculous. It's not biblical." So he says, "Marriage, okay. If you never took a vow of celibacy, you become a priest. Then you find out, you know, you 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 really want to have a family." I'm oversimplifying, but the point is, at some point, he is open to the idea of marriage. But he he was 41. He was not planning to get married. He says, "I'm going to be killed any day. I'm basically risking my life day and night. I'm not going to have a family." But at some point, he makes a decision to kick the devil in the teeth by getting married. And it's a little bit like Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer says, I'm going to do this as an act of faith. I don't need to get married, but I really think that I am going to please God by taking the step of faith by getting married. And who does Luther marry? He marries a nun, a former nun, because this is another crazy part. Frank. There's so much in the story. The nuns, Luther realized that all of these nuns, Well, not all of them, but many of them were sent to the nunnery when they were little girls. They never had any any choice in the matter. Uh. And then when they they turn 20, they can't get out. They're stuck for the rest of their lives. They have no ability to choose to have a family, to choose to leave the, the nunnery. So he says, this is wrong, and before God, uh, I want to give these nuns an opportunity to do what they want to do. It's not right to force people into holy orders. So he hatches a plot. Again, there's all these crazy things where he springs 12 of the nuns out of the Nimshin nunnery, and he ends up marrying one of them. It's crazy.
1: Fascinating. This is Eric Metaxas. His new book, Martin Luther, you need to have. It needs to go to number one this week and you can make it happen and it's well worth the read perfect time to read 500th year anniversary of the protestant reformation what was the protestant reformation how has it changed our life today and what about martin luther and anti-semitism we're going to cover it in our final segment don't go away Welcome back to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, org. If you're up in Alaska this Monday, I don't know if we got any listeners in Alaska, but I'm at the University of Alaska at Anchorage Monday night. I'm also at Baptist Church on Sunday, you can see all that on our website, crossexamined.org. Then next week with Robbie Zacharias and Jay Warner Wallace in Nashville on Saturday, then in Michigan on Sunday and Monday at Muskegon Community College. Check all that out. And then finally, the week after that in Texas, Sulphur Springs, east of Dallas, all on the website, crossexamined.org. And by the way, Eric Metaxas is on a book tour right now. Eric, uh, where are you going to be next week, just so our people know where you're going to be? Say the week, uh, um, the last week of October, uh, first okay. week of November. I'm, where are I'm, you going
0: um, well, what's to be? Well, what's today? Today is the uh, 28th. Yeah. Well, I guess, uh, basically, I'm going to try to be in New York this week for the actual anniversary because... I'm doing as much media as I can do. I hope I'll do some uh, some TV. This is, you Good. know, we've said it over and over. It's the 500th anniversary. Right. If people don't want to talk about the 500th anniversary, they're, they've are they got a problem. This is very important. So I'm going to be in New York, but next weekend, I'm going to be at Greg Laurie's church. That's uh, Sunday oh, Riverside. Yeah. the 5th. I'm going to be in Orange County, California. A <laughs> Orange County with Greg Laurie uh, at a couple of services on November fifth. From there, I go to Phoenix, Arizona. I'm doing an event in Phoenix. The weekend after that, I'm in Wichita, Kansas, and from Wichita, I go to Fort Worth, Midland, Texas. It's pretty crazy. If you go to my website, ericmetaxas.com, dot com, you can see my whole schedule. And I, it's just, a, it's so fun to meet people, to sign books, and you know, and to talk about what is very important to me. And I hope to people who read the book, you start understanding that this is. Very important history. You can't. It really, is. You don't want to miss this.
1: And it affects, it affects us today, and we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. But before we do, Eric, before we really look at the impact that Luther has had on the entire world, I do want to ask you about something that his detractors are going to say, yeah, but Luther was an anti-Semite, and his writings helped influence the Nazis. True or false? What do you say?
0: Um, That is actually very complicated. It's not easy to say yes or no to that. Uh, I devote... 10 pages to it in the book, I try to give as fulsome a, an explanation as I can. You need to know a few things. First of all, there's nothing more gruesome than what Luther said at the end of his life, not just about the Jews, but about his fellow Christians. And he he really uh, had a nasty streak. I, I've joked around many times. I said that he makes, uh, in, in his brash outspokenness and his bluntness, he, he makes uh, Donald Trump Look like Mike Pence. <laughs> but I'm <Okay>. and basically <laughs> he says horrible things. So he said horrible things about the Jews, but this was three years before he died. and you kind of get the impression that he's becoming a little unglued. Um, but really, the worst part of it is that the Nazis who were were deeply anti-Christian, okay? Let's face it, they hated right. everything Luther wrote, except the nasty stuff he wrote about the Jews so they find that and they publicize it and they turn it into propaganda the only reason we're even discussing it now is because of Goebbels and the Nazis who very effectively were used by Satan if I can cut to the chase to do evil things one of them is to pretend that Luther was a lifelong anti-semite Luther first of all his anger at the Jews had nothing to do with their race uh, it had to do with the fact that they didn't accept the faith as he understood it. But it, had, it was not a racial thing. For the Nazis, it was racial. If you're a Jew, they hated you and they thought you were subhuman. Luther, at the beginning of his at the at the beginning of his career, wrote endless good things. About the Jews, and I quote some of that in my book. So it's very confusing that on the one hand he writes these wonderful things about the Jews, and then at the end of his life he writes this nasty thing, and then even after he writes the nasty thing, he writes a nice thing, and I quote that in in my book. So it's it's much more complicated than people uh, want to make it out to be. And I have to say, there are always people, and I, and you know if if you're one of these people, you got to stop. There are people who are in love with the dark side. They love finding some nasty thing. And just saying it over and over and over and over, and it's like, listen, folks, it's way more complicated. If you want to have your little belief that oh, he's simply an anti-Semite, and we can ignore everything he said, that's like saying, you know, uh, I don't like uh, something that Einstein said, therefore all his science is stupid. I mean, Luther said an infinity of vital, powerful, truthful things, which can never be untruthful. They are true. What he right. said at the end of his life is lamentable and and horrible, and but but to throw everything out because Luther said that in. In 1543, my gosh, it just becomes it becomes silly. But you know, you can't. On the one hand, you don't want to make excuses for it because what's vile is vile. On the other hand, sure. if you don't see the context, you're 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 making a big mistake. And so I try to deal with that. I, I deal with. I take ten pages to deal with it so people can read it. The
1: book is called Martin Luther, The Man Who Rediscovered God and Changed the World. Eric Metaxas, my friend and guest here today. Eric also has a daily radio program that you can listen to. You can go to ericmetaxas.com to uh, find out what stations he's on. He uh, The show originates out of New York. But Eric, the subtitle of this book says, The Man Who Rediscovered God and Changed the World. How did Luther change the world for us today, and I, obviously he changed it, you know, 500 years ago, but what, what's, that, that, that ripple effect has, has gotten to us today. How so?
0: Well, this is, um, this is the kind of thing that, you know, when I go into writing a book like this, I had no clue. It was my friends, Greg Thornberry uh, and, and others, who twisted my arm and made me understand that what Luther did unintentionally led... To everything we value American self-government I mean anybody who's read my book if you can keep it realizes that we never would have had 1776 if George Whitfield had not been preaching the gospel up and down the 13 colonies for decades convincing people that they had to have a direct relationship with God that they had to be born again and that they had to hold their the people in authority over them had to be held to the higher authority of God. When you get that idea, egalitarianism breaks out, the 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 strings of democracy are right there. When you realize that I am equal to the king, I am equal to the preacher, we're all equal under God and we're held to the same standard which is God's standard. Once you realize that, everything changes. Well, where did Whitfield get that idea from? He got it from Martin Luther. Whitfield would never have existed and never would have preached the kind of gospel he's preaching unless the reformation had happened and so it's it's a very direct line everything that Luther did it it's like it cracked open the world and the future flew out there there, there's no way that the future as we know it today could exist unless Luther had done what he did even though he didn't know where it was going it it's traced very directly to Luther and I in the in the the last few pages of my book in the epilogue I call the epilogue the man uh, who discovered the future because when you start unpacking it it's astounding I mean even the idea of truth divorced from power we think of you know speaking truth to power well in Luther's day there was no such thing you you were under a power that determined what is true they didn't say oh what's your opinion they said we decide and there is no dissent after Luther there was the possibility of dissent so there's the possibility of people saying this is true, and you, Mr. King, are getting it wrong, or you, Mr. Pope, are getting it wrong. That's really very dramatic, and you can't even imagine the world in which we exist without that. So it's it is it's pretty big, and as I, I'm the first to say that I didn't know it until uh, it was uh, brought to my attention. And so writing the book, I'm pretty excited about what this says about history. It's a new thing for me, and I, I hope. Everybody will be as excited as I am.
1: Well, it had to take more than a year to write this book, Eric, because it is just filled with amazing research and it's well told. I mean, really, how did you pull all this information together? I mean, this is brilliantly done and it's very educational, but also entertaining. So, how long have you really been working on this?
0: Well, you know, it's it's a funny thing because I never have an answer to these questions when people say, "How long did you work on it?" I I just work like a madman, you know, when there's a deadline looming up ahead and you're like, well, I guess I got to write 2,000 words a day, otherwise I won't get there. I mean, I just dig in and go, 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 go. Of course, I will have read tons of stuff before I start writing. Uh-huh. But I think really the the, the good thing about a, a subject like Luther is that so many books have been written before. So I can just press a button on my computer and the book can be delivered to my house. It's not like, you know, if I was writing a biography, on you know somebody who just died, or 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 somebody uh, that nobody had ever written about before, then you have to go to the stacks and you have to read original documents. And uh, my friend, I dedicate the book to Greg Thornbury. Greg Thornbury, who is the president of the King's College, is just finishing a biography of the Christian musician uh, Larry Norman. Now, Larry, he had to do he had to interview people who knew Larry Norman, and he had to read. uh uh, letters that larry norman wrote and he had to dig into this stack and that stack and and you know go to libraries i writing about somebody who who died you know almost 500 years ago you you have a plethora of options in terms of information and so with that i was able to do it but trust me uh, that it was it was uh it was a lot of work uh but it he's so entertaining i I, Mm -hmm. i i know i've said that before but it was kind of a joy to write about somebody who's such a nut for God. He's so outspoken, oh, yeah. and so, and there's so much that he said and so much that people around him said that, that's entertaining that it kind of takes the edge off. It's not drudgery. It ends up being fun.
1: Give us 30 seconds on the message of grace, Luther. Um, Luther re-exposed for us, because it's always been there, but it, it got obscured.
0: Well, that's the whole thing. Is that uh, you know he didn't discover anything; he rediscovered it. It had been covered over through centuries of tradition, and that's what happens. You got to keep these things fresh, and they, this had not been fresh. And he rescues it, you know, from the ash heap of history. This this foreign idea that Jesus did everything necessary for us to go to heaven. All we need to do is accept the free gift of what He did by faith and say, "Jesus, thank you." and i'm gonna live my life in gratitude to you for what you did luther lived at a time where people said uh... no 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 jesus is uh, sitting there with father judging us with the father judging us and he's scary and we don't like him and so we're gonna to pray to mary and we're just gonna we're gonna pray hard and we're gonna sweat and we're going." To... they had forgotten that you cannot earn your way to heaven jesus earned your way to heaven if you don't know that jesus earned your way to heaven, that he paved the path, then you're totally lost. So Luther rediscovers this for the world. Thank God that he did.
1: Well said, my friend. Eric, thanks for being on the show.
0: My pleasure always.
1: That's my friend Eric Metaxas. Get his new book, Martin Luther, the man who rediscovered God and changed the world, especially this week. Do it. That's an order. I'm Frank Turek. See you next time.